I'd like to acknowledge that this episode was recorded on Gura country of the Gundungurra and Durak peoples and the Wurundjeri Willem and Boonarong peoples of the Kulin Nation. Australia always was and always will be the land of the first peoples. Hi everyone, in today's episode we are joined by Caitlin who shares her journey to a repeat c-section after planning a v-back with her second daughter Uh, i'll hand over to her to share the rest she does some great advocacy work in the v-back space and she's one of the hosts of the v-back birth stories podcast with um i've had georgia and bron who also hosts with her on the podcast so Yeah, it's a wonderful podcast for anyone on their VBAC journey. Go and check that out as well. But I will hand over to Caitlin to tell you the rest and to share her beautiful story. Hi, I'm Caitlin and I live in Western Sydney with my two daughters, Florence and Stella, and my husband. Um, I work as a doula in birth and postnatal and I'm also one of the co-hosts of the Australian VBAC stories. Yeah, yep, beautiful. Okay, and can you tell us about your first birth in which you had your first C-section? Yes. So I um, went for my first pregnancy. I fell pregnant very quickly and I ended up going down a private model of care um, with a private obstetrician because I was worried about having enough time and support for breastfeeding after my birth, actually, which is ironic now having been in the postnatal ward on a private hospital and experienced that. Not that beneficial for breastfeeding assistance, but Uh, Basically, I was in a model of care that didn't align with my philosophies and it became increasingly clear the longer, the further along in pregnancy I went. Um, I was a 42-week baby when I was born, so I anticipated having a long gestational period, uh, which I did, and my obstetrician was not thrilled about that and really wanted to induce me. I wasn't very keen to be induced, but there was a lot of pressure from her, from um, other members of my family too that were starting to get anxious and I was starting to be given like stories about friends that had stillbirthed and all kinds of things. And it just, in the end, I ended up agreeing to be induced at 41 plus six, which was the Monday of the week that I would be 42. And I just thought, we'll do that, start that week. I'll probably, you know, go into labor before then which I didn't, but I think a lot of that, I'd had prodromal labor for weeks in the lead up for about two weeks and every evening. And I think that so much of not going into labor was stress. Actually, I was so stressed about this impending deadline. But anyway, I went in to be induced in the morning because I was already dilated about two centimeters. My obstetrician was late and we, you know, we just waited around for a couple hours and then she was there broke my waters. I asked her to give me a couple of hours before they started Sintosinon, um, which she kind of rolled her eyes at, but agreed to. And then, yeah, nothing happened over those couple of hours. Although, you know, the midwife saying, you're having some tightening. So I was like, yep, but I'm having these <laughs> for weeks now, like they're not really going anywhere or doing anything. And then 
I so they started syntocinone. It was pretty standard. Like took a couple of hours before anything much was happening, and then suddenly it was on, um, which is a very usual experience of syntocinone. Um, and it was full on, like really full on. And for me, I it took me a long time to be able to acknowledge that this was a traumatic birth because the cesarean itself that followed was not actually that traumatic but the induction was and that took a while to kind of it was after my second birth that I actually realized this um, because I had a real feeling that I was going to die every contraction that came Mm. they were just you know back to back um, just so hard and fast and it felt like my body was being ripped apart and set on fire and I just didn't know how I was going to survive but I was adamant I didn't want an epidural because I didn't want to be stuck on the bed I was sort of upright, standing upright, and, um, yeah, eventually after about five or six hours of this, like these, you know, 90-second long two-minutely contractions that I, I thought, each one I thought, this is, this is it, this is the maximum a person can endure before they just <laughs> cease to exist. Like mm-hmm. I'm just going to die. Like there's no, I can't actually input all of this pain. And then I ended up like I got morphine once or twice and it didn't really do a lot and I ended up asking for an epidural about 7.30 p.m. that night. So it had been a while by that point. I was around six centimetres dilated but I'd been stuck there for a couple of hours at this stage. I had so many vaginal exams I've lost count and they were all just horrific. And then when I was getting the epidural placed, the the anaesthetist asked the midwife about my baby's position and she he said, um, she's not LOP, is she? And the midwife said, oh, yes, yeah, she is. And I was so mad about that because I thought, I actually know what that means and that makes a lot of sense now. And I wish that you had told me this so I could actually feel maybe like I could do something, like change positions or just, just have the information is power like in that situation and... So anyway, then after I got the epidural placed, things obviously improved for me because I could feel and think and see again. And then I could notice the midwives coming in and looking at the the monitor, turning me over, looking at the monitor again, leaving. And, you know, they'd been doing that all day with the Cinto. It was like, come in, look at the monitor, turn the Cinto up, leave. Like there was not much acknowledgement of me in the process. And then once, yeah, once I'd had the epi, I was watching them going, mm, I think we're heading towards a cesarean. They're obviously concerned. And then about 9.30, there was another handover and I think someone said, oh, and is the doctor on her way in? And they said, yes. And I was like, okay, I'm not about to push baby out. So the doctor's on her way in to come and take me to surgery, which is exactly what happened. She came in and she was sort of preparing, obviously, for me to argue with her, but I was you know, I, she thought, I think that I was a bit of a cowboy, but I was never interested in gambling with my daughter's well-being or my baby's life. Like I just wanted to give my body an opportunity to birth. And so when she said, look, it's, it's time. I was like, yeah, great. Like, let's go. But I want delayed cord clamping and I want skin to skin. She was like, if that baby comes out, okay, you can have whatever you want. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm telling you what I want. (laughs) So (laughs) We did that and um, my epidural was dosed up a little bit too high and I kind of got like numbness up through in my throat, which was quite disconcerting. And there was sort of a panic around like, can I swallow? Can I still breathe? What am I doing? But I thought you just have to keep cool because otherwise they're going to put you under and you're going to miss all of this. So kind of just 
swallowed that fear and like asked them to prop my head up a little bit so that I could feel like I wasn't drowning in saliva or anything. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, my baby was was born quite quickly and we didn't know the sex. And that was one thing my obstetrician did say. I heard her say to the staff, like, they don't know the sex, so no one say anything. Like she was really great in theatre because that's like her her job really. She's a surgeon. So she, yeah, she called out to me and said, baby's born and is fine. We're just waiting for the cord to stop pulsing. And then she kind of handed my baby over, um, like the drape, like a Lion King cub style. Like, <laughs> And then I saw that she was a girl, which was a huge surprise because I thought for sure I was having a boy. I got a little bit of time skin to skin and she fed in theater, which was really nice. And then they kind of wrapped her up, took her away. And I was sort of left there in the operating theater because they didn't have a recovery at that hour. She was born at 10.45 at night. And so they just kind of put me to the side of the room while people cleaned up. And that was my recovery. And I could just see the clock and it got to like 12.30. And I was like, my baby has been born like two hours ago nearly. And I'm still here. Like I just wanted to be with her. And I had the shakes, you know, after the epidural and everything. And it was just a really unpleasant experience and then I got taken up to my room not long after that and you know met my baby and everything and then a lot of the experience postnatal was just me kind of shaken um you know a lot of my intuition and like I wanted to pick her up and hold her and I kept being told that you know she was using me as a dummy and just to put her in the cot and like give her a dummy uh or in the bassinet Mm. and just the little things what that Actually, she was a really good feeder and I was really lucky. Um, I had a very straightforward breastfeeding journey, but little things that I'm like, if she hadn't been such a boob monster, we might have really been in trouble um, there with some of that advice. And yeah, most of my postnatal period was me very hypervigilant and just, you know, not wanting to let go of her, not being afraid to leave her, being afraid to just, yeah. And I struggled with sleep stuff. Like it, I was very untrusting of my ability to mother her. And I think a lot of that was down to the experience of that pregnancy and birth. So that's basically Florence's story. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that with us. Thanks. (laughs) And yeah, so then how are you feeling when you conceived again? What were you thinking about how your next birth would look? So I knew almost immediately that I wanted a VBAC and I didn't know that a VBAC was a thing because I'd only known a couple of people who'd had cesareans and it was their last babies. And I'd always heard the term once a cesarean, always a cesarean. I was still on the ward when I Googled, can you have a vaginal birth after a cesarean? (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. There's like a whole thing. There's a term for it and all of that. And um, I started seeking out stories. Um, so Australian VBAC nurse, the Australian birth stories was where I went first, um, found Australian birth stories podcast and would just scroll through and find the VBAC stories. And from there, I heard somebody mention the, um, VBAC Australia support group on Facebook. So I found that group and my, like my whole like life changed. Basically, I kind of felt like I yeah, was open to this whole new world of research and knowledge about birth that I'm like, yes, this makes sense to me. This is the kind of information I'm, I was craving. And so, you know, I kind of absor- like just, just dived headfirst into the rabbit hole and 
like, you know, read everything that Rachel Reed and Sarah Wickham and like all these midwifery researchers that have done amazing work and, um, you know, doctors and obstetricians like Kristen Small and Sarah Buckley and just people that I just absorbed everything I could. And then I found, I found a private midwife. I was planning a home birth from the start, not from the very, very start, but quite soon I knew that like that was going to be my best chance to have a vaginal birth. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to get on board with that. And then the more I researched home birth, the more it actually made sense to me. It stopped being just about actually it's my best chance for VBAC and more about like actually that sounds just like the best way to birth actually. So that's where I ended up. My mum knew a private midwife in our local area who then was produced a documentary and I was quite worried that she'd get very famous and book out but um, I did manage to get her when I did conceive Stella and so she was booked in and it was just delightful like going through a pregnancy with that kind of model of care was so different and just having these really beautiful long appointments where I could kind of talk freely about like my concerns without feeling like somebody had an agenda that they wanted me to kind of get on board with. There was a lot of stuff with my obstetrician that I actually, I didn't trust her and that was dangerous. Like that's actually like not a safe relationship then because there were things that I wouldn't tell her because I didn't want them to become reasons for her to coerce me into an earlier induction. Whereas I felt so safe in the hands of my private midwife and I knew that her only agenda was, you know, my well-being um, and she knew my experience, she knew what I'd been through and what I wanted and didn't want. So it was cruisy, like it was peaceful actually. And even though it was also through lockdown, which was a challenge, um, it was, yeah, it was mostly just really calm and I was just waiting for labor, which was totally fine with me. And I had so much stuff that I wanted to get done in the house and I was just pottering along doing things. And then 41 weeks I went into labor, which was a surprise. I thought I still had a while. And so I'd had like a few days of prodromal labor, consistent six minutely contractions, which were mostly painless, but they just kind of didn't stop. They just sort of fell into that pattern and they kept going after weeks of like sporadic contractions like Braxton Hicks from 20 weeks but then the change at about 36 weeks they were kind of just sporadic contractions that would come and be like "Mm, that's not a Braxton Hicks but nothing severe nothing that interesting and then (laughs) yeah this 41 weeks it was nearly Christmas so we'd been up at my mum's place my daughter and I who was um, just over two at this time we'd been putting up her Christmas tree and I'd been uncomfortable and then got her home and into bed and it was quite late by that point. It was like 8.30, nearly 9 o'clock, which is really late for her bedtime. And I got, I thought, oh, do I go to bed or do I have a shower? Had a, decided to have a shower and then I, as I stepped out of the shower, I had a really significant contraction and I was like, wow, <laughs> that was a lot. And that feels like like a real a real sign that this is starting. And then in classic sort of early labour things, like I just was basically going, nah, it's probably not though. Like a lot of women tend to do, like <laughs> you're in denial in that early stage. Like I'm 41 weeks. I mean, it's 
it probably is, but every time I'd have a contraction, I'd go, mm, yeah, this is definitely labor. And then it'd stop and I'd go, oh, it might not be there. But it was, they were pretty much like four to five minutes from the get-go. I called my doula down about half an hour or just over half an hour after it had started actually, which was really early, but my husband was quite sick <laughs> and he was in bed and I didn't want to wake him up because I wanted him to be well rested because he was going to be in charge of like looking after my daughter. And I didn't have anything set up because we have had a two-year-old, so I didn't want to put the pool together um, or anything like that. And I thought, I feel like I want to get the TENS machine on maybe and just maybe slowly just set up my space Um, because I did try to lie down initially. I thought I better go to bed, like try and get some sleep. And it was immediately like, this is not, this is not going to happen. I had one contraction lying down was like, not a chance up I get. Um, so my doula came down to help me and we kind of just, it was really nice actually. Like it was a really, it felt very manageable. It was hard work, but it felt like the labor just felt really good. And like my body felt like it was working really well it was very productive. Like I could sense like the, the intensity increasing and everything felt really nice. My daughter woke up about 1am and that threw me off for a little while because she really wanted me and I struggled with not being able to give her me. We eventually just sent her back to bed at about two and I said like, she's just going to cry, but you just need to take her. Like I can't actually do this with her around at the moment. And I didn't really get back into a groove after that. Um, the contractions were still coming as frequently, but I, it, they felt different. And, um, I had like this very tight band like sensation in my lower pelvis that I couldn't pinpoint what it was. I just knew that it didn't belong. Like I just knew that it wasn't helpful. It didn't feel dangerous. It just didn't feel like it was benefiting me. I was like, that's bothersome and annoying and it's not helping and that was like the majority of the discomfort I had at that point. Like every, the contractions were intense and everything as well, but that was like, I wish that would piss off, you know, like I wish that would go away. I've had enough of that. And in the end, I think my doula called, we got in and out of the pool a couple of times. I thought, I'm just over this. Like I I could tell that it wasn't progressing anymore and it was really bothering me. So it was frustrating. And my photographer came for a little while and I thought maybe that'll help like some new energy in the room and then which I'm really grateful for because I have some amazing photos of me laboring at home which is fantastic and I love them because I feel really strong when I look at them and then I think about six six or seven a.m my doula said do you want me to call a midwife and I was like yep (laughs) you're gonna get her here and she's gonna give me some answers because I've had enough of this (laughs) so she got her there and she sat down you know quietly next to me and was like what's what's happening and I was like I don't know like I don't want to do this anymore I'm over it I'm not in transition but I'm just done I'm fed up because I could just it's amazing how like when you're laboring spontaneously the intuitive sense of like this just isn't working like I can tell things aren't changing and I feel like I'm doing a lot of hard work for no reason so she was like okay do you want me to do an exam and I was like yep we're gonna do that so 
went and did a vaginal exam and she said, look, I don't know how you've managed this. You're seven centimeters dilated, but you've got a head nowhere near the cervix. So I was, (laughs) when I had a contraction, the waters, like my membranes were still intact and they were going rock solid. So that pressure was dilating my cervix. But my baby's head was still quite high up and pushing on my pelvis, um, my pelvic bone, actually. So she was sitting really far interior, which is why I was getting that tight band sensation because during a contraction she was pushing on the bone on the top. So that made a lot of sense. And I was like, okay, I can understand what's happening. I can understand what's going on. She's like, honestly, I feel like if your waters break, your baby's just going to fall in and it's just going to be born. Like <laughs> she said, it's too high head's too high for me to break them at home. I don't feel like that's safe. I was like, no, I don't want to do that either. So we just kept going and it was very much a conversation and it was like, this is what I can see clinically. This is what I would suggest, but what do you want to do? Like what, what feels right for you? What options do you want? Like, you know, what do you want to do basically? So I was like, yep, no, let's keep going. So I think I labored on the toilet for a little while longer. And then when I came out, um, my doula and my midwife had said, oh, so um, we are thinking that we could do some spinning baby stuff to help Bub get into a better position. So I was like, okay, like I'm game. I'll try anything. I'm stubborn as a mule. So I was like, I'm not doing, like I'm not going to the hospital until I've absolutely overturned every, every stone here. So we went and did uh, like a forward-leaning inversion while shaking the apple. So like my doula had like a rebozo over my bum and was like jiggling it and I was upside down through a contraction, which was just wild. It was completely wild and I was just bellowing because, I mean, what do you do at that point? But I felt her because she'd kind of engaged but not, not well and not fully. So the idea was that we were trying to get her to disengage and then engage in a more beneficial position so I felt her during that contraction like like pop out like it was like a reverse vomit like it was very strange like (laughs) it was yeah like a I don't know like a suction cup like it was very very interesting like she just kind of like sucked out of there and then I was like she's yeah it's out baby's out because I didn't know she was a girl at that point but so we sat sat me back up and then we did Walter's position for three contractions. So that's sort of, you have your, you kind of get on the edge of a bed and you have your legs sort of dangling and your pelvis tilted all the way up, which is usually agonizing. And it was quite uncomfortable, but it took that band sensation away from me. And so I was like, actually like, this is, this is rough, but it feels way better because I don't have that sensation anymore because my pelvis was tilted so far forward. So the idea is that then that helps during the contractions, your pelvis tilted, baby can get into the pelvis properly. So that felt really good. And then I felt like, um, oh, then they wanted me to rest for a little while. So I think I'd had a couple of, I think we got up first and they said, look, have something to eat and something to drink. And then we might just organize ourselves a little bit. My midwife wanted to go and do a quick postnatal with a woman who'd birthed a couple of days earlier. And my doula was going to stay and my photographer, they were, they were just sending her home for the, for the time being. And while we were sort of discussing that, I'd had a couple more contractions and I really felt this burning sensation in my hips, which 
at the time I just did not even connect this and it took me a really long time postnatal to figure this out too like I was like a good year postnatal before I worked this out but the that burning sensation I think the trauma of that induction from my first when I felt that burning I was like completely shutting down my body I was completely closing up I was like there's not a chance that's the bad death feeling that's terrible because I I remember saying oh it's burning it's burning and they were like that's okay like it's okay and I in my mind I was like it's not that's not okay like it's really not okay so I kind of panicked and I think I just shut down from there because then what had been feeling okay and I think it was literally like she was a fairly big baby and we'd just given her the space to get in and so my pelvis was just opening quickly but in my mind it was like oh no 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 (laughs) we've been here before and it was not good and so then when they went to put me to bed I think it honestly I just completely there was no coming back from that I don't think but we went on for for a long while longer it was like I had a rest for about an hour and then I got up and I was doing some more moving than we did. Like we walked up and down the hill near my house doing like abdominal lift and tucks, but I could feel that band sensation had come back. And so I kind of knew what was going on. Um, my midwife checked me again a little while later when she'd gotten back at about 2 p.m. I think, and I was, I'd gone backwards. I'd started swelling. So I was five centimeters at that point. So then we kind of just, again, it was like, this is what I see. This is the options. What do you want to do? I said, I'm not ready yet. Like I don't, she was kind of saying, if we go to hospital and um, have like a rupture of membranes, that might be all you need. Um, You know, might be all you need for her to get into that position and then we'd be on our way. So I knew that that was like one option, but I wasn't ready for it yet. And so she was like, no worries. Baby was, she was checking on baby and my blood pressure and everything else in this time. And we were all well. It was just a case of like, you know, did, what did I want at that stage? Everyone was well and healthy. So it was, it was down to what I was feeling comfortable with. I ended up going to my Cairo and getting like a last minute appointment. Cause I was like, maybe it's, maybe it's my pelvis. Maybe she can just do a bit of an adjustment. And she saw me at about 4.45 that afternoon and my doula had gone home for a rest at this point because she'd been with me a long time. So my midwife drove me to that appointment and then the Cairo, she did do a little bit of fixing up and then she's like, look, there's a bit of tension, I've loosened a couple of things Um, and then showed my midwife a couple of things with like sacral release and then we headed home and my midwife said, look, you know, where are we at now? Like that was kind of our last, last thing. Like what, what do you want to do now? And I was wrecked obviously at this stage, my contractions had spaced out a bit over the day, like gone between like five to 10 minutes, but still like hadn't slept and was doing a lot, a lot of work. So I was tired. And she said, I think you should have dinner with your family, sit down together, have dinner. I'm going to go and get some dinner. I'll come back and let me know what what you're thinking, what you want to do. So while she was gone, I had one contraction in 45 minutes. And Mm -hmm. I was like, this is dumb. I'm over it. It's time to go to the hospital. I'm ready to, to make that move. If I had my time again, I probably would have asked just for everyone to go home and just give me some time and space just on my own. But I think I was just so exhausted at that point that I didn't see that as an option. It didn't even kind of occur to me. (laughs) So 
I, yeah, agreed to go to the hospital. And we had, thankfully, we were able to bring two support people at that point. We were kind of in this like three week, like golden era where you were able to bring two. So my husband and my midwife came with me and we were really, we were treated really well in the hospital, actually. Like I felt like my midwife was a bit of a shield for me, but they were great. And after it took a while to get my water's broken because they were waiting on an OB. And then in the end they were like, look, they've been really busy. Do you mind if I, the midwife we had, do you mind if I do an exam? And if I feel like it's safe for me to break the waters and I will. So she did that and she was like, oh yeah, you're about like six centimeters or something. And I was like, like, you know, yep, I was seven this morning. So it was Mm -hmm. still pretty rough. And they, well, like insisting on me using the gas and things like that, that was kind of annoying. I was like, I'm actually okay if I can vocalize, like just let me be. I don't want to use the gas. I'm actually fine. I'm just tired. And then after the waters were broken, they did want the CTG on me, which I'd kind of prepared for. And I thought, yeah, that's fine. Put that on. Um, everything was okay with Bub. Bub was absolutely happy. I could still feel the band sensation though. And so I had a real feeling that we weren't getting anywhere. A couple of hours after they'd broken the waters, I still just struggling. And my midwife asked if I could get in the shower. And so they, they agreed to take the CTG off so that I could get in the shower because we had a wired one um, and just do Doppler for the short term because baby was quite well and happy. So I was in the shower and I was just struggling. It was like 11.30 p.m. Like it had been a long time and I had to stand. I couldn't sit through the contractions. I had to stand and I was still vocalizing really loudly and I started to feel my legs were starting to shake and give way and my voice was starting to waver and I thought if I can't stand and use my voice, I'm not going to manage. Like I'm, I'm running out of steam here. And so I was sort of thinking like, I can feel still this sensation. I don't think she's, I'm not imminently about to have a baby. I'm still like a while from that. If we're even going to get there, there's a good possibility of a repeat cesarean at this point. I could get an epidural now and see whether that does enough. Like maybe I'm one of those people that an epidural helps relax everything. And then that would be, I'd be on my way. So I tried And then I thought, you know, and then if I need to go for a cesarean, then I'm already, I have the epidural already in at least. So that's what I opted to do at that stage. And I was really happy that the the guy turned up like minutes after I'd asked for it, which was such a good, so good. Because when you get to that stage of wanting an epidural, you are like, I cannot tolerate this anymore. I've decided I'm not going for it anymore. Mm -hmm. And so now it's impossible for me to get through this pain. But he turned up like immediately, worked so quickly. My husband still talks about it. (laughs) And then (laughs) I was really comfortable. Like I could feel the contractions. When I'd had an epidural with my first, I was totally numbed out, like completely numb. And it was like a relief at the time, but it was also disembodying. Whereas this time I still felt my body and I still felt the contractions, but I was able to rest and relax through them. Like it wasn't um, taking all of my energy. So they had me kind of up in like a throne position on the bed and then I think the the midwife came in and said, oh, the doctors want to come in and speak to you And because they'd done an, an, another exam at that point. They were like, oh, you're seven. But, I mean, I'd been there for four or five hours by this point, so I'd only kind of 
only gotten one centimeter further as far as they were concerned and my midwife had said to them like look I'm only gonna said to me I'm just gonna tell them you were five when I checked you I'm not gonna mention the seven this morning because they'll freak out and so I was like okay (laughs) and so they were going, oh, you know, you're seven. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I was seven, like, more than 12 hours ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but then the doctors were coming in. And so my my midwife said they're going to recommend a repeat cesarean, which, again, is just like little things with private midwifery where it's like she knew that me not being, like, just sidelined by this information, like having the information in advance, was really important. So like her being able to say that to me and being preparing for that conversation. So I had like a slight suggestion to the OB that came in about doing a little bit of Sinto and seeing if that changed anything. And her face was like clearly panicked. And I was like, for a brief second. And then she kind of regained composure. I'm like, I saw that. And then my midwife sort of said, look, why don't we take a few minutes to talk about it? And the consultant, uh, the OB um, registrar who was there, she said, I'll go and talk to my my consulting OB and see if they would agree. Um, but basically we would recommend a cesarean at this point, which is what they're saying. So then my midwife sort of said to me, and like, I, again, it's like having that a trusted person that I know is doesn't have an agenda. So she was like, look, from a clinical perspective, this is what I'm seeing. Like you've had really good, strong contractions all day. You've had a baby who's in like really an ideal position, but isn't descending. We've come in for the intervention now and still nothing's happening. We have to start wondering what's happening in there that we're not privy to. And I would just hate to see you in hospital, like in, um, like with another cesarean and a baby in NICU. And I was like, yeah, yeah. So she said, look, this is totally up to you. And if you want to go down this route, that's fine. But, um, you know, I, they were starting to see some small D cells on the monitors. She said, I just, I would worry that once you put some Sinto in the mix, it's been a long labor already. And I was like, you know, that's totally reasonable, totally valid. I actually don't want to go down the Sinto route anyway. Like I didn't want to do that. So it was just like, like my kind of last minute, like, but what other options have I got? And I was like, actually, those are my other options, but I don't actually want them. So the doctor came back and said, what do you want to do? Uh, oh, no, she came back in and the first thing I said before she even spoke was like, can you drop the drape? <laughs> she was like, oh, um, okay, yes. And so I asked basically, I wanted to see my baby being born. I felt like I missed those first moments with my eldest and So I was like, I really want to see her. Um, And so they did, and they did delayed cord clamping, which they only did a minute, which I didn't realize was going to be the case. So hot tip, always specify what you mean by delayed cord clamping. And she fed in theater as well. I wanted us to stay together in recovery, but they were busy. And unfortunately, I should have just said, like, you can't have her, but <laughs> I um, I handed her over. But we were only separated for about 20 minutes or something, I think, in the end. Um, the midwife we had did advocate quite well for us to stay. She was like, oh, she's feeding. I can't take her now and gave us about 25 minutes in theatre. So then, yeah, and then, I mean, all went really well in the end. And obviously, like, the thing is, is when I was being rolled to the theater, I was like, oh gosh, I can't, I just can't have another baby. Like I can't go through this again. And then my second immediate thought was, or if I would, I'd just have an elective cesarean. I'd just do a maternal assistant. And then 
within a day of being in the hospital, I was like, I would never have an elective cesarean. Like if I'm going to have another baby, I just can't do it. I can't rock up to a hospital as a healthy woman with a healthy baby and ask them to cut it out of me. Like for some women who've gone through this, that would absolutely be the right decision for them. But it's just not my philosophy. It's just not what I believe about birth or my body or anything like that. And as disappointing as that experience was and exhausting at the time, um, you know, I felt really strong and I felt really powerful. And I was like, yeah, I totally met that labor, um, like totally faced it and it was completely doable. And I felt like it was within my ability. Whereas I felt so defeated by my first, like the induction labor, whereas this one, I was like, yes, I could, I could do that. Like I was strong enough for that. I was able to do it. And it was just that I honestly think now with the benefit of hindsight, that there was a lot of mental preparation that I hadn't done in debriefing and sort of integrating those first experiences. And I feel like that's actually what contributed to that. I think there was a lot of compounding factors. Like she was a bigger baby as well. But I think that even just that little bit of me that was like not letting this baby in, that was enough. And there was a lot of trauma with my daughter as well mixed up in the mix too. Like I wasn't able to be there for her. I wanted her to be there and then I couldn't and, you know, letting her down, all these things that mixed up. So I think that's where... Like I've heard Hazel talk about, you know, these little things. Hazel Keedle talks about like the the planting of seeds and planting of weeds in mm-hmm. early in those early experiences postpartum and those kind of things in relation to things that are said to you often. You know, she's often talking about it as far as like if doctors say like, oh, you never would have birthed that baby or whatever, like, oh, your pelvis wasn't big enough. I think mm-hmm. it also applies to like what happens to you yourself and your ideas about what's happened and they 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 will grow through labor like you can't you can't you can't really prune them back during labor you actually need to help like pull them out earlier so yeah for me that was a I think that's been a really good lesson in just understanding how important that debriefing and yeah just just working through all of those really difficult and traumatic experiences can be but yeah, I, I think the the VBAC birth, like it can be an absolutely redemptive and healing experience, but it's a bit of, there's a bit of a myth of the healing VBAC, I think. I think that you can't rely on your birth to heal you. I think you've got to do that work yourself and then the birth is just a contributor in that. So, yeah, that's certainly what I've come away with after my experiences anyway. <laughs> Mm, oh, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Thanks. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's so much about the journey and what you're doing in that pregnancy yeah. to prepare and then the whether you actually birth your baby out of your vagina or not. Yeah. It doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but. Yeah, it's almost secondary to like. Exactly. Just, yeah, reclaiming. It's really the reclaiming, reclaiming your power, mm-hmm. reclaiming your authority of your body reclaiming all of those things that are often lost like for us who've had cesareans in the first place there's often the things that have been taken or that we've lost on the way Mm -hmm. and so being able to pick those things back up and be like actually I am the decision maker for my body and my baby Mm -hmm. and being supported in those decisions that's a huge thing like not having to fight 
makes the world a difference. Like if I was to have another baby, I would plan for a home birth after two cesareans because not because like I believe that a home birth is the ideal, but just because the the model of care, like not having to fight along the way, that continuity of care with private midwife was just next level, next level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, 100% agree. And I wish everyone had access to that continuity of yeah. care because it's so important, but it's not accessible to everyone. No. And that's such a shame. It is, mm. yeah. We're trying, Um, you know, we're working on it, oh, but yes yeah it's a long slog hopefully we'll get we've got a bit of attention at the moment from the government about it so yeah we'll see. yep finally yeah <laughs> yeah uh, well caitlin thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story with us it's been wonderful to speak to you thanks chelsea Thanks for listening to this beautiful episode. If you've enjoyed it, please leave a rating wherever you're listening or let me know on the podcast Instagram at Definitely Baby Podcast. You can see some photos of Caitlin and her family there as well. Reach out, touch base at any time, and we'll see you in the next few days for our final VBAC series episode for this series. So... Yeah, keep your ears out and have a beautiful rest of your day. See you later.